Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you again for tuning in to the Quarterly Report. I am your host, Armand Lee. Thank you so much for listening in. Another fun show this week. I'm going to be joined by my homeboy and one of the best sports minds in the business, Ariel Agami. We're going to break down a huge month in boxing last weekend and this upcoming weekend with two pivotal fights. Also, we'll touch on the NBA playoffs and the hottest sports take this week. All that and more coming up, but we're going to start strong with the NFL with our first topic. Who or what goes harder in this country nowadays than the NFL? That's where we're going to start the show off this week. Obviously, the epicenter of the sports world last week was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the home, the site of the NFL draft. Now, we'll touch on the draft in a second, but it wasn't just the draft because, you know, that makes sense. That's an important part of any sport. But the fact that the National Football League kind of just held sports viewers, their attention, like just with a, a grip that just did not let go. You know what I mean? A vice lock, essentially. They just captivated the sports fans' attention for two weeks, despite the fact that we've had an exciting NBA playoffs, an exciting NHL playoffs, and the start of baseball season. The NFL is like the honey badger, man. And we all know the honey badger don't give a f They don't care. And again, I understand it with the draft because the draft, despite its flaws, and again, I'll... I'll touch on the draft specifically in a second. But I can, you know, I like to think of myself, I think I, as a producer, as a former producer, a sports producer, I like to think that I have a pretty good pulse on, you know, how things move and what's popular and what's not. So I get the draft. The draft is of the utmost importance, especially considering football is king in this country. But I... This is where I had to tip my hat off to football uh, when the schedule, the schedule became a big thing. Like two weeks ago, it was 24-7 coverage on, oh, the NFL is going to unveil its 2017-18 schedule. And it's the countdown clock on like five stations. And everybody's talking about it. About eight or nine years ago, maybe 10, let's just say nine years, uh, split the difference. Uh, radio show host, and again, if this is your first time listening to the show, thank you again. My name is Armand Lee, but I live outside the Washington, D.C. area, you know, and there's a, a radio show host named Kevin Sheehan. And a few years ago, like I said, about nine years ago, he just started doing kind of like a mock NFL schedule release. And I thought, yo, that's that's super clever because football is always in the mocks. There's like 500 mock drafts. And, you know, when he did that, I was like, yo, that's super creative. That's clever. You know what I'm saying? That's a good little bit. And he would do it, like, do it up. You understand? And although I'm not the biggest football fan, and as I've gotten older, my love for the game has kind of diminished a bit. I can appreciate his passion. You know what I mean? Because he went all in. Like, this is like something he does annually now. But the first time I heard of it, it was completely foreign. I was like, yo, that's that's funny 
You know what I mean? But it's interesting, right? Because he would go in on five weeks in the whole nine. But then maybe about six or five years ago, nationally, the unveiling of the upcoming NFL schedule became like this big to-do. And I never quite understood it. Like, again, I know that football is king in this country. You can't be anywhere close to sports without understanding that. So I get it. And I get that football has almost this, like we as a society have this insatiable desire to consume football 24-7, literally 365. I get that. But the schedule, like this is like a big thing. We've got two leagues with exciting playoffs going on right now. And the schedule was like lead story. And not because, you know, there's this desire to push football. It's because the demand was, yo, I want to know about the schedule. And this is what I never understood about it, right? If you're that much of a diehard football fan, you already know who your team is going to play. You already know who your team is going to play this season before the schedule was released. The only thing that the schedule tells you is how many national televised games you have, when is your buy, and how many West Coast trips you have, or if you live on the West Coast, shout out to my listeners in Nevada and California and Oregon. But if you live out on the West Coast, how many times you have a one o'clock start? Like That's all the schedule tells you. You know everything else. But here we were two weeks ago, and I was just like, yo, the, the NFL, they're the hardest bammers alive. They're dope pushers, young. That's what they are. And I feel like there's a part of me, I don't know how much of it, but there's, there's, some, there's something there that that's why I'm not as much of a football fan as I once was, right? Because I'm not trying to be a fiend, you know? And that's how the NFL treats us as fiends. Like, look, here's our product. We got all these seeds in it. So what? Take it. Look, here's our product. It's been stepped on. So what? Take it. You know what? Matter of fact, we're going we're gonna to jack the prices up. And you're not going to do anything but take it. Take it. You understand? And I'm like, nah, bro. You're not just going to push this on me. Bamas don't even know what a catch is anymore. But, yo, I salute them because... They've got the world by the balls, and they know it, and they flex. Which leads me to this past weekend in the NFL draft, right? I had my guy Ben Stanley going to give us his ideas on where guys would be picked last week. In the draft, you know, again, I get why. So unlike the schedule release, where I have no idea why people like that, the draft I get. Even though I think we all understand, right? We have no idea what any of it means. You got teams trading up for quarterbacks. I have no idea if those quarterbacks are going to be good. No matter how many people, no matter how many quote unquote gurus or experts or insiders say they've watched X amount of film on a player, they have no idea if they're going to be good or not. You know? Look at the quarterbacks in the league right now. The majority of them were not taken. The majority of the good ones were not taken in the first round. You know, you got Cam, you got Matt Ryan, you got Eli. 
and I think we could debate on how good Eli is. Ben Roethlisberger. But then look at, you know, Aaron Rodgers, who was taken at the end of the first round. And then you got your Drew Breeses. You know, you got your Tom Brady's, obviously, your Russell Wilson's, you know, your Kirk Cousins. You got all these other guys who were taking second round, third round, sixth round something. You know, like, nobody knows. Nobody has an idea of what the hell is going on with the draft. But it's fun. And nothing, nothing was more fun than this past Friday. I swear, I'm not sizing when I say this. Drew Pearson and his introduction of the Cowboys pick was the most fun I have had watching an NFL product in God knows how long. I'm being dead ass serious. Like when I watch football now compared to when I was younger, when I was younger, it felt like football was just more fun. You know, you had Dion high stepping, you had, you know, Ken Norton and Charles Haley out here looking like they were going to kill somebody. You know, you had Michael Irvin stunting. You had all these guys and all these personalities. When I was a teenager, it was T.O. and Joe. I love that. Randy Moss. I love that. The expression that guys had. Now, it's like everybody other than Gronkowski has to be like this robot with no emotion. And if you show anything, you get flat. You get penalized. Well, Drew Pearson stepped out in the lion's den, Philadelphia, to booze. And you know what? I'm going to play the sound. You've probably already heard it, but listen. All right. How about them Cowboys? I want to thank the Eagle fans for allowing me to have a career in the NFL. Thank you. I am honored as an undrafted free agent to be selected to make the Cowboys second round draft pick and on behalf of the five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys Hall of Fame owner Jerry Jones Gene Jones and the Jones family coach Jason Garrett all the Cowboy players that played before me that played with me and played after me with the second pick and the second the 60th pick in the second round the Dallas Cowboys select Is that not the greatest sound bite ever? Seriously, Ric Flair could not have cut a better heel promo than that. It is so perfect. Like he comes out to this chorus of booze and he eats it. Them joints with Scooby snacks for my man. He ate it and then he fed off of it. You know what I mean? So he starts off with how about them cowboys and the booze come down. And then halfway through, when he throws out the five-time Super Bowl champions, then the boos somehow get louder, and it doesn't phase him a bit. He starts flexing. The veins out of his side of his head pop out, and he's stunting and shoulders and screaming even louder. And then the best part, now I know this isn't a visual medium, but the best part of the entire Drew Pearson sound is the needless this pump at the end like <laughs> yo man that joint is the greatest thing ever and the football fan in me desires more of that 
if if the NFL could give me that, give me Drew Pierce, just make it all WWE, right? Just have it be all production. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. If it's somebody hitting somebody in the back with a chair, whatever, man, I need that. I need personality. You know what I mean? Because football is giving me all this controversy. It's giving me all this, you know, moral dilemma. Give me something fun. That's all I ask. As someone who wants to love football the way I did when I was 20, give me that again. Give me more Drew Pearson and less Roger Goodell. I am Armand Lee, and that was the first quarter of the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow me and the show on Twitter. Personally, I'm at Armand underscore Lee, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. And the show, follow that as well at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Now, that was the first quarter in dealing with the NFL, but we're going to keep things moving, moving to the NBA with our second topic this week. We all know about hot takes. You know, it happens. In fact, it's it's a core necessity of the industry in which I've made a living off of, right? In sports talk, we have now morphed into you have to have a hot take on some level. It doesn't always have to be a 10, but it's this narrative that all of a sudden, depending on certain current events that happens in sports, this now becomes the take that everyone kind of feeds off of. So I decided, you know, and I, I, from time to time I have some hot takes. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to flex like, you know, my stuff don't stink. I, I do that too. But this week I'm going to debut a new segment called Hot Take of the Week, right? In which I tried to debunk some of the hot takes that are now running rampant across all your television screens and your laptops and your cell phones and radios. And this week, it's all about Chris Paul. Now, if you're not aware, the Los Angeles Clippers, once again, blew a lead. In fact, they're the first team in NBA history to blow a lead in five consecutive playoff series. Chris Paul, as I'm sure most of you all know, has never been to the conference championship, let alone won a championship. He's never been to the finals or the conference finals. And this is like a stigma that is going to stay with him until he does. It's just, that's just how we do, right? And I'm kind of torn because look, Chris Paul is easily one of the three best players of this generation. I mean, like without doubt, it's LeBron, Wade, and Chris Paul, those three. And you may have Paul over Wade, you know. Now, again, it's tricky because this generation can then be, like, lumped in with KD and Steph. But of guys who've been in the league for over 10 years, like, Chris Paul is legendary. He's a great NBA player. That can't be denied. However... And I'm with this in almost everything. I don't believe in coincidence, right? And he's literally the only great player to have never been to the conference championship. You can't ignore that. Now, I'm not one of these people who, like, 
like to determine someone's success, someone's greatness by their team success because that's difficult. However, in basketball, because one player impacts the game so much, it's easier to do that in basketball than it is in other sports. So a few weeks ago, I was talking about Tony Romo. And the biggest knock on Tony Romo is that he never won a big games, right? He didn't have huge playoff success. And to some extent, that's really unfair because the Cowboys at that time weren't really great teams. However, Romo was the reason in many examples. He had the ball in his hand making the costly turnover at the end. So while it's unfair to Romo to use the kind of team success to pinpoint and attack him, I could I could reason with it because Romo had really bad moments in the biggest spots. Chris Paul, however, isn't really like that. Now, this past game seven, he didn't play well, and he's got to own that. And this past game seven, as well as the Houston series a few years ago when they were up three games to one, he's got to eat that. There's no excusing that, and that's going to be part of his legacy. And if he never reaches a conference final or an NBA final, that's what he's going to have to live with. Those are the cards he was dealt. He had an opportunity and he blew them. And that's just the, the reality of the situation. But to just kind of neatly wrap Chris Paul's career in this nice little bundle that, okay, well, he's never reached this point, so he can't be that good. It's just so foolish. It's so dumb. Chris Paul is such an amazing basketball player. And we do this all the time. Carmelo Anthony has made it to a conference championship. Carmelo Anthony is nowhere close to being as good as Chris Paul. You know what I mean? So if that's kind of my thing. When I was younger, I was told this thing, right? The first, the easiest way to spot a flawed argument is to find the lack of consistency. You know what I mean? So if, if you're going to tie yourself to some type of principle, be consistent with it. Right. So if you're going to tell me Chris Paul can't be a great player because he hasn't reached this point, well, then all these other guys who have reached this point in theory have to be better. Correct. And if that's the case, you're telling me that Carmelo Anthony is a better basketball player than Chris Paul. And we know that's not the case. Or DeMar DeRozan is a better player than Chris Paul. Get the hell out of here. You know, we can do this over and over again. Like, I can give you all these examples to show you how stupid that train of thought is. But even when I'm doing that, even as I'm speaking this to you right now, there's a part of me like, yeah, but you know what? Don't defend Chris Paul too much. You understand? I mean, because there are facts that will just blow your mind away. Like, since 2000. And this is the the kind of the trendy thing that's going around. And we've got to really we got to really kind of look out for certain things like this because people have, will be pushing an agenda. But the sample size, and you know, is fluke. They're doing it for a reason. They're choosing a certain time frame for a reason. Perfect example. Like the biggest indictment on Chris Paul. And you guys have probably seen this online is that since the year 2000. Right. And put a little asterisk by the year 2000, but that's a 17 year sample size. So it's pretty good, 18 year sample size. So that's a decent amount of time. But since the year 2000, only three teams have, haven't reached the conference championship. The Wizards, 
and the two teams that Chris Paul has played for, the Clippers and the Pelicans. And that's a huge indictment on Chris Paul, right? Like that in and of itself is like, yo, that's crazy. But remember when I was like, yo, let's put an asterisk by the year 2000. That's a bit unfair. Chris Paul didn't come into the league until about what, 2005? So the reason why they used 2000, like the the real argument would be since Chris Paul came into the league because he can't help what happened before he got into the league. But the only reason they used the year 2000 is because it gives you a larger ex- like time frame for other teams to go to the finals, right? So you got the Knicks who went to the conference finals and the Nets and the Timberwolves and all these other teams. So it sounds better. It makes the argument against Chris Paul even stronger. But when you actually look at it, you realize that's fluke. You know what I mean? Because again, Chris Paul couldn't help what happened in the NBA before he got there. So the the true test, the true time frame, the true sample size you would want would be Chris Paul since entering the NBA and how many teams have made a conference finals then. But the reason why they don't do that is because those numbers don't sound nearly as strong as since 2000. So it's a little kind of like hand-eye trick. You know what I mean? People try to make things uh, stronger. They try to make their their arguments stronger by like using these little fluke tactics. So you got to, you know, you got to be mindful of that. But when it comes to using this, like all the hot takes about Chris Paul is the most overrated player of all time. And Chris Paul is this. And Chris, Chris Paul, hear me when I say this. Chris Paul is one of the five greatest point guards ever. Chris Paul is one of the three best players of this generation. Chris Paul is a top 10 player right now. And if I'm Chris Paul, I'm, I'm super annoyed by all this. You understand? But this is what I do. If I'm him, shut the whole thing down. I go to the San Antonio Spurs. And I know everybody's, oh, well, he'd be losing $70 million, all this other stuff. I get that. I get that. But it's also fair to remember that California is a state that's heavily taxed, whereas Texas doesn't have a state tax. So I don't know if that equates to the $70 million difference. Maybe Chris Paul does a sign and trade, right? If you're like me, trade machine is an addiction. I do this all the time, come up with little trades. So my trade for Chris Paul, I'm going to throw this out there for free. Three-team deal. Chris Paul to the Spurs, LaMarcus Aldridge, Victor Oladipo, Tony Parker to the Clippers, Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, all of that is contingent upon Redick, Chris Paul, and Blake doing an extended trade, right? They had to opt into the contracts and then sign off on getting traded to these teams. But you know what? If Chris Paul went to the San Antonio Spurs, who here doesn't think that they would make it to the conference finals? Because look, we're watching the Spurs now. And at the time of this taping, they're down one nothing to the Rockets. And it's Kawhi and the Pips versus James Harden. They need help. You mean to tell me if Kawhi Leonard was playing with Chris Paul, you don't think that the Spurs will make it to a conference championship. So this is all kind of the point. Context matters. 
Chris Paul is an amazing player, and despite his own personal shortcomings and his own flaws that he's going to have to deal with, don't tell me he's not a great player because he doesn't have the team success. Because on the right team, not only will Chris Paul make it to a conference championship, Chris Paul could win a ring. Don't let the Clippers and the Cavs make a Chris Ball for Kyrie Irving trade because we know what will happen then. So for this week's hot take of the week, the Chris Ball criticism, let's just chill. I'm going to be the fire extinguisher to blow that mess out. Chris Ball is still an elite player. He just needs to start playing with some elite teams. That's the first half. I'm Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you go to iTunes, subscribe, download, and review the show. Go to iTunes and search Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll find the show. Click on the icon and subscribe. Also, leave me messages. Whether you like the show, you don't, things that you want to see more or hear more of, whatever. Feel free, leave me whatever, review and rate the show as you please. I'd really appreciate that. Now, halftime this week. I was told when I was a young man, you know, if you don't celebrate your victories, then who will? And so far, this is the sixth episode. And the show so far has had some pretty good victories, I must say. Last weekend, I told you guys that Anthony Joshua, Vladimir Klitschko would be an amazing fight. Not only was it an amazing fight, it's probably the best heavyweight fight in two decades. So I pat myself on the back for that. I also told you guys about LeVar Ball on the first episode. Like, yo, he's going to have to chill out because, you know, he's going to cost his boys. Well, this weekend, the news came out that not only did Nike, Under Armour, but Adidas as well. They all failed to offer Lonzo Ball an endorsement deal in part because of their father. So I kind of put you guys on game on that. But the biggest, the biggest victory that the quarterly report has had thus far in six weeks was that of Ja Rule. I tried to tell y'all Bamas that Ja Rule is not one to be trusted. You know, he was feeling some type of way about not getting that fast and furious money. So what did Ja Rule do? This guy came up with his own music festival. And as you would imagine, it was a show. You've heard of Lollapalooza, South by Southwest, and Coachella. Well, the next great concert festival is here. The Fire Festival. Ja Rule is putting together an event that you'll be regretting for the rest of your life. For just $12,000, you and hundreds of losers can share in an experience that will last a lifetime. <laughs> Attractions include gourmet mayonnaise sandwiches, washed up bands from the 90s, water that may or may not be safe to consume, and every STD imaginable. <laughs> Festival. That's fire with the Y, so you know we're reputable and on the up and up. Slim, when I found out about the Fire Festival, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure all of you do at this point, that was real. 
there were people, they said 20 to 25 year olds who spent $12,000 to go to the Bahamas to see a concert thrown by Ja Rule and everybody canceled. And they were feeding these Bahamas like fried bologna sandwiches and all types of, you know, unsanitary situations were popping off and they wanted a refund. And I'm like, well, what'd you expect? I wouldn't spend a hundred dollars on anything that Ja Rule was advertising, let alone $12,000. And I'm someone with a certain high level of compassion. Oh my God, what the hell is going on with Bama's nowadays? Slim Ja Rule? <laughs> they were having Bama's like ripping paper from like, you know, printer paper and writing their information so they can get a refund. Oh, Lord have mercy. <sighs> anyway, I tried to warn y'all. Don't trust that Bama. Again, thank you for listening to the quarterly report. I am your host, Armand Lee. Halftime adjustments have been made. We know what we got to do to get the W. So let's get going with our third quarter this week as I welcome in one of the, my good friends, Ario Agami. You can catch him as a combat sports broadcaster for Friday Night Fights Muay Thai. He also does some really dope stuff for MLB.com. My guest this week, my brother, Ario Agami. What's going on, Agami? Armand, pleasure to be with you, my friend. Great to talk to you, and I'm very honored to be on the quarterly report. Hey, thanks so much for joining me on the show this week. We're going to touch on the Knicks, unfortunately, and some NBA playoff topics in a second. But we're going to start in the square circle. It's been a really great past three weeks for boxing, especially last weekend where it was one of the best heavyweight fights I've ever seen as Anthony Joshua knocked out or had a TKO victory over Vladimir Klitschko. Agami, I got a two-pronged question for you. What is your thoughts on the fight? Like We often deal in hyperbole when it comes to sports. Did that fight live up to the hype? And number two, do you see Anthony Joshua kind of taking this next step and being a superstar in the heavyweight division, something that we haven't had, at least in this country, since the Tyson Holyfield era? Well, first of all, Armand, I, I, I thought the fight over the weekend was wonderful. And, and it, we have been deprived of great heavyweights and fighters for so long. This is one of those bouts that reminds us why the heavyweight division is so special. It was a great fight, and it was one of the more memorable fights, especially in the last 15 or, or 20 years. You know, you look since a guy like Lennox, Lennox Lewis left the sport, you haven't had as Vladimir Klitschko has dominated, but not always in spectacular fashion. The best punch that he's dominated with has been his jab. So you don't always get those spectacular results when you have a guy that, that does a lot of his best work with his jab. Right. This fight was wonderful, and it was it was it was so much fun. It was back and forth. Klitschko has always had trouble with his chin. Looked like he was in trouble in that in that fifth round, and he comes right back uh, and, and, and knocks uh, and knocks Joshua to the canvas and had Joshua really out on his feet for a little while. But it was a wonderful fight, and and I don't think it's unfair to call it at least one of the best heavyweight fights uh, of the last twenty years, as far as. Anthony Joshua and his future as not just a star in the division, which obviously he already is, but his marketability, I think, and he has said it himself, it's very much dependent on him making a splash in the United States. He's done most of his fighting in the U.K. 
and he's a megastar there. But he himself has admitted that in order for him to take that next step and become that global icon as a heavyweight fighter, he has to do it in the United States. And I think really right now, you look across the landscape of the heavyweight division, the only guy that is there that would resonate with American fight fans would be Deontay Wilder. Exactly. I mean, I think if a Joshua Wilder fight were to ever materialize, it'd be such a fun fight because neither of those guys, the way they both punch and the power they both possess, there won't be any cards. It won't be a long fight. Somebody's going to go to sleep. So, you know, we'll see if that fight is uh, around the corner. Tyson Fury probably has something to say about that. Again, I'm joined now with my guy, Ario Agami. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ario Agami. That's A-R-I-E-L-A-G-A-M-I. He's such a, such a smart sports follow. He knows his hoops, football, baseball, boxing, the whole nine. But we're going to stay with boxing for one more question. Um, it's Cinco de Mayo weekend, so you know that's a huge boxing weekend. A huge fight will be going down in Vegas between, I mean, I wouldn't say arguably, I mean, Canelo clearly is not only the king of Mexican fighters, but the cash cow, the king of current boxers against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Um, how do you foresee this fight uh, on Saturday, Ario? And anytime you talk about Canelo, the looming fight with, Gennady Golovkin always hovers over. So do you foresee that fight finally happen, happening after Saturday? I think that's the end result here. I think both. I think Canelo knows that that's the big payday. I think that uh, I think that he, he has his eyes on a Triple G fight. I think Triple G has his eyes on a Canelo fight. Every time he's in the ring, somebody asks him about it. Max Kellerman asks him about it all the time. And he recently, I believe, Triple G pulled out of a fight he was supposed to have in June. And I think he wants to just keep an eye on this Canelo Chavez fight coming up this weekend just to kind of see how things go. Right. And in terms of Canelo Chavez, I think both guys are, I don't want to say at a crossroads, especially for Canelo because he's only 26 years old, but a very important fight for each guy for very different reasons. Canelo, obviously, as you said, chance to kind of separate himself from the rest of the pack in that 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 pure middleweight, even even he's only, he's not even he's not even a true middleweight really. He's really fall out of his, his fights at 154. But it, I think this fight's going to be at a catchweight of 164. So he's coming up right to face Chavez, who's a bigger man, but he's a much slower man as well. And Chavez at 31, this is a, this is it for him, Armand. It's not that it's not he's not a bad fighter. He's right. not a bum, but he hasn't had that career-defining match. He hasn't had that, that wow victory yet in his career. And this is his chance against his countryman, Canelo Alvarez. There's a little bad blood there, as this has been obviously probably hyped up for the sake of, of ticket sales and pay-per-view buys, of course. But these guys are not big fans of each other. And uh, Chavez kind of needs this fight. He needs this to really really put a, his own mark on his, on his family name. And, right. and, and solidify himself as a Chavez. Even though he's not a bad fighter, he, he this is a victory that would really that would he could hang his hat on this victory he's able to get it. And he's gonna have his chance because he's not a guy that's gonna run around the ring. He's he's kind of a, a a guy that fights in a phone booth sometimes. He's not gonna run away from Canelo. 
and he has a good chin, so it yeah. makes for an interesting fight. I think it's going to be very interesting. You're going to see these guys go toe-to-toe. Again, I'm joined by my good friend, Ario Ogami. He's a combat sports broadcaster for Friday Night Fights Muay Thai. So if you're in the New York City area, you're going to want to make sure you check that out. Now, Ario, we've broken down boxing. Let's going to transition to the hardwood because the playoffs are still ongoing. And a funny thing happened this past weekend. The Clippers, again, were eliminated, but talk of Chris Paul and his legacy has kind of taken center stage. He hasn't made the conference finals. That's something that you can't excuse. You can't ignore. But if his career as it stands right now, how would you assess Chris Paul's legacy? Is he overrated or underrated? I'm personally a fan of Chris Paul. I think the Clippers have been a little bit snake bit by injuries in recent years. I also think that that team is a little bit overrated. I, I, I don't think that they have a lot of physical talent, a lot of athleticism, but there's just not a lot of polished players on that team. Forget And, of course, losing Blake Griffin early in the first round against Utah didn't help, their, didn't help the Clippers' chances. But a guy like DeAndre Jordan is so physically talented, but he's such a, he's such a negative on, on the free throw line and offensively. Chris Paul doesn't have a, a, a ton of options. You have an aging bench uh, with Jamal Crawford, still effective about Jamal Crawford. I, I really like Chris Paul. I think he's, I think it's a combination that he hasn't been on a lot of, of, of really good teams. He's run into some good teams. He's, he's, he's been in the West his entire career. So you're obviously going to have uh, m- most of the time better teams in front of you. I think he may be at the point where he can't be, the guy you lean on because he does have a lot of mileage on him and he has been snake bit with injuries for a lot of his career. But I, I, I think there are, there are landing spots for him. If, if he decides to, to, to leave Los Angeles, I think there, there, there are places where he can go and be still successful and be a factor in the playoffs. But he has definitely been, uh, he has definitely not achieved what you would think he would have achieved at this point in his career. I think he's very, very much a Carmelo Anthony of point guards, really. Not, not, and that's not a knock on Carmelo. They're just, they're really, really good players who are number one, number one position players on their respective teams, but they just haven't gotten over that hump and made a big splash in the postseason. All right, I'm going to get you out of here with this. You brought up Melo. The Knicks are a complete disaster. Oh, it's terrible. What it's the terrible. hell is going on with our orange and blue squad, Agami? I don't know what. I don't know what's worse. Maybe you can make sense of this whole ordeal. You know, it's interesting, Armand. The Michelle Roberts, the head of the NBA Players Association, just came out with a quote that said Phil Jackson is trying to shame Carmelo out of New York City. And it sounds crazy, but it, it, it sounds – it's kind of true because right. Phil Jackson, when he came in, as you just said, he signed into the max deal or the almost max deal. He made it, he made it as if Carmelo uh, – right. Gave the Knicks so much flexibility because he took 124 million instead of 129 million, but you still gave him the full no trade clause, and Phil knew what he was getting. It's not like Carmelo just showed up on the scene. Phil knew right. what kind of player Carmelo was—an isolation player, a guy that would potentially be effective in the triangle, but not with the supporting cast that Phil has put around him. Not with a score for first point guard like like Derrick Rose handling the ball so much, and. I'll say this for Phil Jackson. He, he did make some nice moves. Obviously, drafting Porzingis was, was a tremendous 
stroke of genius by him. He could have gone several different ways. He, he took the risk on the unknown European player, and Porzingis looks like a tremendous talent. But in year two, Porzingis kind of regressed at times. It didn't seem like he got better. He's still a tremendous talent, but we didn't see the advancement that you would hope that you would have hoped for in a second year. He was sitting on the perimeter all year long. The guy is seven yeah. foot three. Uh, I just I didn't see the, the 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 game plan with improving the Knicks' most important player, and that being Porzingis. And in terms of Carmelo, it's hard for me to feel bad for a guy making twenty five million a year. But you know what? To me, he's the sympathetic figure in this. He'd be willing to sit through a rebuild if they just treated him with a little bit of respect. But Phil, he just kind of keeps poking holes in Carmelo, and I don't understand why. I really don't understand why. Oh, I hate the Knicks. I hate them so much. <laughs> All right, Agami, thank you so much for joining me this week. Again, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ariel Agami. That's A-R-I-E-L-A-G-A-M-I. He's a combat sports broadcaster for Friday Night Fights Muay Thai, and he also does some really dope stuff for MLB.com. Agami, you're my man. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Armand, quarterly report, one of the up-and-coming shows. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's great to be with you. My man. All right, so we've touched on the NFL, the NBA, and boxing. So what could possibly be my last topic this week? Well, we're almost here. Let's find out. Quarter. The biggest sports story this past week didn't happen at a draft or on a basketball court or a baseball diamond. It had to do with the layoffs at ESPN. And this kind of hit home with me because a few months ago I was laid off at my job um, as a sports producer because of downsizing as well. It's something that the entire industry is dealing with or will have to deal with because of the changing technology and how people consume not just sports, but how we consume entertainment as a whole. You know what I mean? Like the days of sitting in front of your television and watching your favorite television shows or movies or your your sports center or your highlight shows, they're all we're, we're, we're coming on to a new era of all of that. Because of Netflix and Hulu and, you know, sports franchises having their own websites and channels and everything. Like, it's a new frontier. And that, coupled with the sky-high prices for these, you know, sport sports leagues uh, and their rights, ESPN is paying so much money to broadcast the NBA and the NFL that those two things moving together, the bubble was bound to burst. And, you know, there's a large contingent of people who talk about, you know, ESPN's liberal slant. I'm not really here to discuss that. Like, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. I'm not going to sway you one way or the other. I will say, though, that the people who are have some type of close ties to the industry know that if that does play a part it's not one of the major factors you know what i mean i'm not going to dismiss that there are a lot of people who are passionate about this and if they want to you know cut their ties to espn because of it that does happen but make no mistake you know whether it's fs1 or espn or cbs sports like everyone is dealing with this 
And obviously, because ESPN is the king, when they have to lay people off, it sends shockwaves throughout the entire industry. And again, I may be sensitive. I probably am sensitive about, you know, people's reactions to these layoffs because again, like it happened to me, but I was so taken back by like people's, I don't know if rejoicing or happiness is the word, but people's, you know, reaction to the layoffs. It, it seemed to me at least that there were so many people who saw this as a victory. And I, I was like really shocked. Maybe I'm naive. I clearly am. But I was like the lack of compassion and empathy for a lot of these people was astonishing to me. And people who have never met these people, people who have let these people in some way into their lives, into their homes by watching them for years. Some of them, people who have never expressed any type of political belief one way or the other. People were like almost celebrating that they were let off, that they were let, you know, let go. And that was crazy to me. But it got me thinking like to a larger scale. Like we as a society kind of treat the media so much nastier than I think we've ever done. And this isn't about, you know, playing a violin for members of the media, because as I'll break down in a second, we've kind of played a part in people not trusting us and vilifying us. We've 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 accepted that we've welcomed that. But when you go so far in attacking the media at some point, and this isn't just sports now, like sports, political, however you want to break it down. At some point, we are losing touch with the idea that we need the press. We need the media. You know what I mean? We don't necessarily need it as currently presented and constructed. We've kind of veered off from just kind of delivering news. We've now kind of sunken into this embrace debate and hot take culture, which is which is kind of frightening when you start thinking big picture. Now, look, again, like I said, we in the media, we have to we have to take culpability for some of this. You know what I mean? I, I'll give you a perfect example. And this uh, although this is a kind of larger scale topic, I'm going to, quote unquote, stick to sports for this example. I remember uh, a few months back during like before the all star break in the NBA, you know, players had their the first time ever players were able to vote for who should be an all star. And I remember people in the media just dismissing players votes and saying that, you know, they didn't take it serious and they should never vote. And this is years and years and years after members of the media were saying how fans don't know what they're doing and they shouldn't be voting for all-star games. So like we in the media have this pompous attitude, right? We got our nose in the air as if we know so much more than fans and players. And here's a newsflash, right? Most people, all of us in the media started because we were at a point fans and hopefully are still fans of the sport, not necessarily of teams or players, but of the sport that we cover. 
And you can kind of tell that people who've just become such curmudgeons and just nasty and just been their love has been eroded. You can tell by how they write or how they talk about sports. But we in the media are just people who know people in sports who cover it. So we have maybe a little bit more insight, but not necessarily. Right. There are plenty of people who cover sports who have no clue what they're talking about. Just turn on a, a, a network and you'll find plenty of them, I promise. But back to the all-star example. You know, we had all these members of the media talking about how players were an embarrassment, how they shouldn't be voting for all-star games. And this is after years of the same people saying fans have no idea how to vote for all-star games either. But these are the same people who last year, like James Harden will either win MVP or be first or second runner up. Last year, James Harden did not make an all NBA team first, second or third. It's insane. Kyle Lowry made an all NBA team over James Harden last year. And guess what? Players don't vote for that. Fans don't vote for that. We in the media do. You know what I mean? The same people who want to hold their nose up about the all-star game are 100% in charge about all NBA teams where players contracts like there are stipulations in regards to how much more millions of dollars players will get based on members of the media selecting for the all NBA team. You know what I mean? So we all make mistakes. We all do stupid stuff. We all kind of have blind spots and weak spots when it comes to voting. Yet members of the media always walk around like they stuff don't stink. So I get why people, fans, you know, and consumers of media, whether it's sports or otherwise, have this kind of disgust when it comes to a lot of what's going on in the media. You know, this whole embrace debate culture that we live in where every network you've got four or five people yelling at each other that that weighs on you. You know what I mean? Like the days of Tom Brokaw and Ted Koppel are over. Everybody wants to be a star. You know what I mean? No one wants to just deliver the news. You got to have a panel and you've got to have a time segment where you're arguing and you've got to pick a side. And this whole pick a side culture has literally trickled down into every aspect of our lives to the point now where. We've got politicians, people in power are outwardly dismissing the media as a whole. And if, you know, in the day to day, it gets easy to kind of buy into that. Right. But at some point we got to stop and take a, a, a look and take a step back and like, yo, the press is important. We need this. Look at countries who who don't have an independent press who don't have an independent media to to allow us as a society to look at what is going on from hopefully an objective perspective look at those countries and then like and then ask yourself is this what you, is this what we want cuz we are moving in that direction things like this don't happen overnight it's something that is a transition but on the pace that we are in and again the ESPN layoffs and how we handle sports media is completely different than how we handle. I'm not trying to say that, you know, 
world news is the same as sports news, but how we treat the media as a whole, you can start to see a correlation. And what I'm saying is let's pump the brakes because we're headed down a dangerous path where there is no trust, where a blogger has the same amount of credibility as a respected journalist. Like, again, I'm not playing sides. I'm not talking about your political beliefs and ideologies, however, but we can, you can deduce, you can see what's going on. We can peep it. And I'm super uncomfortable with how this is going on. And it stems from a lack of empathy, a lack of compassion. You know what I mean? And again, I may be sensitive because this does hit home for me. But even before I was let go, I was just really just kind of in awe of like, yo, look at look at where things are going. You know what I mean? People consume their news, quote unquote news from all these other aspect outlets to a point where we don't know if this person is from this. Like people don't believe this person is from a country or whether it's from sports. People think that Jamal Crawford is the best six men like. There are just so many outlets. Hell, my podcast is an outlet. Like anything you hear from me, please feel free to fact check. You understand? But we just got to be careful with, number one, how we consume, like what we consume as news. And number two, how we then relay and treat people who are delivering it to us. Because it's all beginning. It's all starting to get messy. And last week, I was just amazed at the lack of compassion that people, you know, benign people who who haven't taken any type of stand one way or the other were just kind of being thrown out as, well, look, he got let go. This liberal slant or ESPN has fallen. Ha ha. It was amazing to me. And we really got to take a step back and really have a self-assessment like, yo, is this the route we want to go to? And those of us who are in the media, we have to really start rethinking how we do things, not just because of the dangers of the uh, the technology that's coming our way and how it's going to change the industry, but is this the way you want to present yourself as a journalist, knowing that the trust is at an all-time low? Because in reality, like, so much depends on it you know freedom of the press our forefathers made the press important for a reason it is a necessity and we are voluntarily ripping it apart at the expense of god knows what thank you so much for listening to the quarterly report this week Again, I'm Armand Lee. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Plus, follow me, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Go to iTunes, search Quarterly Show, click on the icon and subscribe. We come out every Thursday morning. So you can ride with me for a good 50 minutes to an hour. Hopefully you enjoy the show. If you do or if you don't, rate and review the show on iTunes. Again, rate and review the show. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Armand Lee and I'll see you back next week on the Quarterly Report.